You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed. In Markham. In Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan. In Stouffville. In Woodbridge. In Unionville. You're listening to 1059 The Region. I'm Ann Romer, and this is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. On the show this weekend, we prepare to celebrate Chinese New Year and also the meaning behind the Year of the Rat. We learn more about the really fine work of Global Medic, but we begin with the City of Vaughan's move to allow short-term rentals. Effective January 1st, 2020, short-term rentals are now allowed in residential homes in Vaughan, the primary residence for an individual or family. Let's talk about what this really means and what changes are afoot in terms of short-term rentals in Vaughan. Joining us, City Councilor Alan Sheffman, Ward 5. Thanks for being with us on the feed. You're very welcome. My pleasure to be uh, on the feed with you, Ham. So let's uh, dissect this. Let's understand what changes there are and what uh, people who are thinking about opening up their homes for short-term rentals need to know, Alan. Okay, it's not, first of all, about being allowed to have short-term rentals in their homes. It's really about the city trying to manage this issue. Uh, Every municipality in Canada is trying to manage short-term rentals. They exist there. They're all over the place. And what we've done over the last year is explored this issue in great detail with much public consultation, uh, with review and research and going, looking at what's going on across the country to try to determine the best way to manage to protect our residential communities uh, at, at this point. You know, tourism is a really big, important component of any uh, city, and it certainly, uh, Vaughn is no exception. This uh, has a great deal to do with, uh, with enhancing the, the time spent in Vaughn if you're able to secure a short-term rental as a tourist. No question about that. And we, of course, do want to uh, welcome every tourist uh, who's thinking about coming to Vaughn to go to one of our great attractions. But we also need to protect the, the existing residential component, people living in residential areas. We don't want them to be overwhelmed by well, what we know are some of the horror stories relating to short-term rentals. So how do you enforce that? I don't like that word, so I'm going to withdraw it. How do you ensure that both the, the, the homeowner and uh, the uh, tourist, the person visiting, are both protected, both parties are protected? Well, first of all, we needed and received a lot of cooperation from the larger entities that do this, such as uh, the, uh, the groups that we all are aware of that... Uh, do provide short-term rental. So their cooperation with our regime that we're putting in place, which is a licensing and taxation regime, will really help to control the situation. So licensing, we understand. Let's talk about the taxation part of this. Yes, this year we've established an accommodation tax in the city of Vaughan, so every hotel, motel, whatever, uh, must, uh, for every uh, person that stays, every guest that stays in their properties must pay a certain fee. Uh, the, uh, our licensing regime for short-term rentals will also require that uh, this tax be paid. How do you ensure that the people who are going to be the short-term renters are uh, going to be respectful to the actual property, to the homeowner's property, and also to the rest of the neighborhood. 
Well, that's well, obviously going to be managed by the homeowners themselves, the people that are offering the short-term rentals, to try to address that issue. Uh, there are rules that exist, uh, obviously, by uh, uh, Airbnb and that, those sorts of companies. The individual property owner has got to figure it out himself or herself. Um, we will, of course, uh, uh, do the management uh, around the neighborhood. If we get reports from neighbors about inappropriate, uh, perhaps illegal behavior, uh, we will act. And, of course, if it's illegal and a criminal type of offense or an offense that the police will manage, then I'm sure they will also be involved. And to quote you, Alan, we need strong, enforceable rules to deal with this issue. So what are those rules? Well, the rules are, number one, you must be licensed. Number two, you must uh, agree and and commit to pay the the accommodation tax. Uh, Number three, uh, you must post uh, in your uh, accommodation uh, the fact that you are licensed. Uh, you must submit on an annual basis the tax, taxes that have been raised. You must reapply for your license on an annual basis. Those are some of the rules that uh, we're putting in place. And what about insurance? You know, you think about homeowners insurance, but this is uh, maybe a different kettle of fish. It is, in fact, a different kettle of fish. Obviously, the homeowners are going to need insurance to be able to cover this. Whether the insurance companies are going to provide that is not our area. It's always something they need to explore. And I'm sure the Airbnbs of this world are uh, quite up on this issue. Alan, is it ever something that you and your family have discussed in terms of your own private residence? Uh, not to offer this, absolutely not. I'm not in favor of having uh, short-term guests in the residential neighborhoods, but that, besides my own personal feeling, uh, is somewhat irrelevant because we still need, no matter what my feeling is or what anybody else's feeling is, some way to control this particular situation. That's really the core here. And, and I, I mean, ultimately, if somebody simply comes and stays in a private home in a residential area and uh, stays overnight and leaves the next day, uh, it's not a huge impact. It's when these notorious party houses uh, crop up is what we're, we're most concerned about without any doubt. Well, thank you for being so candid. Really appreciate it. Vaughn City Councilor Alan Sheffman, Ward 5, thank you for joining me on the feed. And thank you. Have a great day. Bye now. You're listening to The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Tax season may be a few months away still, but the Canada Revenue Agency scams are already making the rounds. Afua Ba with great tips to protect yourself. Scams, they're becoming more elaborate these days that it's sometimes hard to know the difference. So to help us out today and to protect ourselves with the right information is none other than uh, tax professional, tax guru, tax enthusiast, (laughs) tax helper, Lisa Gittens with H&R Block Canada. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Okay, so... um, We're talking today about CRA scams, and before we get into any specifics, it seems like scams of any kind, really, are becoming more elaborate these days. Correct. They are definitely becoming more elaborate, and what we're also finding is it's not just one phone call or one email, but you're getting multiple calls and multiple emails. So it's annoying as well as frustrating. 
I love that you said annoying for us. Now that we got that type of emotion out of our system, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there. Okay. Um, so let's try to help the listeners. Uh, today we're tackling the CRA scams. Uh, so maybe what's the first thing uh, one should probably be aware of if they get a call and they're saying that uh, they're from the CRA and uh, they have to give some sort of information? What should be the first thing that um, someone should do? One of the things I suggest before you even get into the call, when they say that they're calling you from CRA, ask them immediately for their CRA agent ID. It is typically a four-digit code followed by four two letters. And if you write that down and they provide it to you, then proceed with the call. What I have found with myself and other clients, once you ask for that agent ID, if it is fraudulent, they will hang up right away because they're unable to provide you with that information. Once you have that information, that agent ID, you can then ask them for a contact number or better yet, go directly to the CRA website, contact the number on the screen that CRA provides you with because there are multiple numbers for looking up your tax information or if you have to update something. So look at the number directly on the CRA website, call, and then let them know you received a call from this agent and they will connect you directly. So right away there, you are getting to speak direct to CRA and speaking to the agent, knowing then that phone call is recorded by CRA for your verification. When the caller is typically, if they stay on the line or they muddle up and they give you an agent ID and they insist that you answer questions and they don't hang up, things that you're looking for on the call, are they pressuring you to act immediately? That's a warning signal because they should be giving you time providing you with information and then giving you time to verify that information. Once they have told you what they're calling about, whether it's a balance owing or a refund they have for you, again, at this stage, you are able to hang up, contact CRA through the website, reference the agent number, and then continue your conversation. If you're getting multiple calls, things that you should be thinking about, why are they pressuring me? Did I indeed file my tax return on time? And do I have a notice of assessment or reassessment directly from Revenue Canada that I can verify information with? What we found with these scams is they're typically asking you for uh, providing your personal information like your social insurance number or your banking information because they're insisting that you make a payment right away. CRA will never be asking you to pay through bitcoins or gift cards. These are two of the recent scams that have been in our headlines and that our clients have been receiving. Revenue Canada accepts payments through your online banking, through their website, or directly through your bank teller. If that call that you received is legitimate through an agent and it's a collections officer, then they will discuss with you options of how to make a payment using one of those three options, your online banking 
at your convenience through the Revenue Canada's website or through your bank. Okay, so where do I begin with this? The first one is I had no idea about the uh, CRA number. I feel like I can confidently say most Canadians didn't know that there is um, a sort of ident- identification number that they can ask for in order to verify that indeed they are speaking with a cert- CRA uh, certified agent. And I think that's maybe the one of the best ways to sort of defend yourselves when the call immediately comes through because it's just you're inundated with information and you almost get overwhelmed that you feel like okay it sounds like they're speaking you know facts and it sounds like you know they know what they're talking about let me just give them the information that is that is your ultimate key it's like your password protector once you have that agent number and i specify it's that four digits followed by two letters Because that's giving you the agent's name and the location. Now, Revenue Canada, once you call them, specifically connects you to that agent. If I'm on the phone and I say to you, this is Lisa Gittings and I'm calling you from Ontario and this is my office number, you as the taxpayer or the client have no way of verifying that that phone number is connecting you to Revenue Canada. It could be connecting you anywhere in the world. Just because you have my name doesn't mean that you're connecting into Revenue Canada. And so the agent ID is your first request before you say anything else to them and then verify the number on the CRA website for yourself. Okay, that's fair enough. And also, too, I don't think that uh, most know that... um CRA usually writes uh, letters first before they end up doing any sort of calls? This is correct. Now, this is another really important step. Yes, Revenue Canada may call you, but their first uh, order to reach you is through mail. They will send you a notice in the mail outlining what they're looking at, what you need to do, and how to contact them. Even for those individuals who have my account, which is a separate um, account on the Revenue Canada website that they can access themselves through the site using the internet, on that my account, they will post the letters that they have mailed out. So they'll send it electronically and they'll send it by mail. If you have requested not to be contacted by mail and you only want it through the email, two things happen. You get an email to your personal account saying there is mail for you on the CRA website. They will not send you an email saying click on this link or click here to receive a refund. That's another scam that's going out. The email from Revenue Canada specifically directs you to go to their website and access your account. On your account, you will see any letters that they've mailed out, and those letters, each one has a unique file number. So when you're communicating with Revenue Canada, you quote that file number, and it will tell the agent exactly what the situation is. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So the, um, the identity number for the CRA agent and then first form of communication being mail. Okay. Um, and then also, um, paying attention to language. I know you touched on it. If they keep asking you for um, information, if they want you to deal with them at the situation, um, that's an also a very 
key point. And then, of course, um, the best one, one of the best ones as well, is trusting your gut, basically. That is correct. And that trusting your gut, when they're pressuring you, saying you have to act in 24 hours or you have to act immediately, that's a definite sign you are not dealing with Revenue Canada. Let's say maybe you just hang up and whatnot and they call back. I mean, is there any way to sort of flag CRA that's saying, hey, such and such number? Or is it because it's scammers are able to sort of cloud their numbers that it's it's almost like a, a game of Catch cat and mouse? If yes, you can. Pretty much. Yes. Because the number that you see coming up on your phone is typically not a number that can be traced. And it's usually not a number that you can call back to. This is one of the other things that we found. When you're talking to them on the phone, if you ask for their first and last name and a number to reach them, it's not the number that has come up on your call display. So that's another red flag. You're calling me from one number, but you're telling me to call you back at a different number. That's a no-no. Do not engage with those numbers. The only numbers for you to contact Revenue Canada are clearly posted on their website. The most popular number is the 1-800-959-8281. That is the number for all individuals to contact Revenue Canada if they have a query about their return or if they've received a letter or notice that they need confirmation on. It can become scary because when you're a victim of uh, scam calls, you become weary of who to trust. It, it, it infringes on your privacy in so many different ways. Exactly. And I want to caution here. Revenue Canada never asks you for payments in bitcoins, never asks for payments in gift cards, and they will never threaten you to send the police to your door. Those are the three top things that we hear clients are receiving, and those are three major no-nos for Revenue Canada. If they do contact you, they will have written you, and they may be calling you by phone now to say, we sent you a letter because you owed money. We're calling to discuss a payment plan. Again, the agent ID will allow you to verify that, the reference number on the letter and the return that you filed allows you to verify that. The other thing is, if you didn't file a tax return, you may get a call from a CRA officer asking you to file those missing returns. They're not going to threaten you with the police showing up at your door because you failed to file. They will tell you the steps to go through and how to file that return. Revenue Canada is here to assist you, not to threaten you. Assist, but not to threaten. And those are the words we need to continue to keep. And I think that will definitely help protect us moving forward. Lisa, if anyone needs any more information um, just regarding uh, CRA scam calls, of course, uh, tips and uh, questions about taxes, uh, where can they reach you? Now, the best place for them to get any information about scams or that is straight from the Revenue Canada website. So that website is canada.ca. And once you uh, open up that webpage, you type in scams. Everything that we've discussed today, how to identify, how to know that you're speaking with an agent and why they may be calling if it is Revenue Canada is on that site. 
as well as the phone numbers to query your own tax information. They also have a telephone number on there for reporting scams. So there is a website, antifraudcenter.ca, and the number to call to report a scam, one 888 495-8501. Lisa, thank you so much. This has been a relevant, a needed conversation. Uh, of course, all of these tips that we can uh, begin to use so that we don't end up becoming a victim of any type of scam. Lisa, thank you so much. You're welcome. You have a wonderful day. Thank you to you as well. Get ready, hockey fans. Your favorite former NHL legends are facing off against the law enforcement all-stars at the 51st NHL Alumni Benefit Tour. The tour helps support Special Olympics Ontario and law enforcement torch run. The action takes place at the Ray 20 Sports Complex in Newmarket on January 26th. Hawk drops at 3 p.m. Your family will also enjoy world-class hockey skills on ice pranks and hockey nostalgia. So don't miss your chance to see hockey legends in action. Join the fun. Get your tickets at BenefitHockey.com. Coming up next on the feed, the plan to add more residential and commercial options to the area near 407. Joining us with all that you need to know, Mitchell Goldhar, founder and executive chairman of Smart Centers, also owner of Penguin Properties and oh, so much more. You are a, a man with many talents and a long history and a very bright future. Let's talk about what you are developing in the 407 area that we need to know about. Hi, Mitchell. Thank you. Oh, hi. Uh, well, um, yeah, at 407, uh, it's part of uh, an area called the VMC. Uh, you have the Smart VMC, which is the part of the VMC owned by uh, by myself uh, through Penguin Properties and with Smart Centers, the public company. And it is a, uh, a mixed-use development that you saw you can see coming out of the ground with the various high-rise buildings that will, uh, you know, call Complement the transit infrastructure that has been built into the area, um, and yeah, over the next uh, well, every every few months, you will notice a difference in the 407 area as we continue to build offices, um, condominiums, uh, apartment buildings, uh, civic uses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, at that quadrant, it's almost becoming a city within a city. Yeah, well, in fact, it really is. It's seen as a city center, um, but unlike a city center, it's being built, uh, in a sense, uh, from a blank slate uh, with uh, the infrastructure already in place. So it's highly um, unusual in a good way um, because a lot of times we're trying to, you know, fix densely populated areas with roads and infrastructure and and, uh, and open spaces. But in this case, since uh, it's been planned um, at the beginning, all of those things are being built uh, to suit the the final vision. And so uh, it is a city, actually, uh, within a city. We call it uh, the, the new city center. Let's uh, walk through this together, shall we? So we understand the area Highway 7, which has been under transit development for years and has been the real uh, bane of the existence of some people in their vehicles. But now things are moving beautifully. So transit came first, it seems. Uh, now let's talk about what comes next. 
Well, of course, that's such a huge part of it. There's been billions of dollars invested by all levels of government, including the region, of course, and the city of Vaughan, uh, to bring the subway, the University Line subway station, the subway extended to uh, Highway 7 on um, Smart VMC. And um, and now you've got the uh, New York Region bus terminal um, station located next to that on Smart BMC, and of course Aviva has now got um, their line extended. So you've got three modes of mass transit infrastructure built in advance of all of the density being built. So yes, as all of that was under construction, it wasn't just the bane of all the listeners, <laughs> it was the bane of all of us at Smart Center's existence for a number of years, but it is now done, and everything's quite the opposite, actually. Everything's moving very, very smoothly now that all the roads are, are, are built and all the um, mass transit is in place. Can I let you in on a little secret here at 105.9 The Region? Traffic is our best friend because it means that people want to listen to the radio and they're they're being given <laughs> comfort and great music and great personalities at this station. So we don't mind traffic sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, you could, you could, uh, you could have, um, uh, you could um, report on the, on how well the traffic is moving at Highway 407. I'm sure that listeners would love to hear that. Uh, and they just did, thanks to you. <laughs> so, with the importance of mixed use, and it really is the trend, it has been for the past decade or so, uh, throughout uh, the region, but also throughout the greater Toronto area. Well, you know, mixed use, of course, it's a term people are sort of glossing over now because it's been so overused in a sense. But if you think about great cities around the world, what makes great cities great is actually the coming together of, of all the various things that we all use um, in our lives, in our daily lives. But North America, for various reasons, did not uh, plan itself with mixed use as much because we had cheap land and we had you know lots of it and we sprawled. And uh, now, of course, we're putting rings around the city, like the Greenbelt legislation and other things for efficiencies. We're now starting to live a little bit more and get closer and closer to living like they live in Europe. So we're being introduced to uh, mixed use in North America. So, yes, you'll see a lot of it going on as in a way of of uh, maximizing our respective uh, investment, respect being the public's investment in um, in infrastructure through uh, density. Um, so uh, BMC and Smart BMC are actually kind of prototype examples of of mixed-use development um, that you are absolutely correct that you see in the GTA and uh, throughout North America. So let's cut to the chase and speak my language. How would you best describe what it's going to look like and feel like when all is said and done? Well, actually, um, I sort of touched on it. It's going to be a bit of Europe um, here at Smart BMC because it's... um, because the, the the outside spaces, which I sort of think the think of the of of, of of outdoor spaces, green areas as being the music and buildings being being the lyrics, hmm. and uh, so um, you know, great buildings are just. You know, just lyrics without without having complementary and proportionate open spaces. So, the the thing that we did here at Smart VMC that is unique to other mixed use developments, probably around the GTA, is that um, we plan the open spaces first, and that's just because we're lucky to have a lot of land here, and we were lucky that all the mass transit was brought here. Um, but as a result of that, we we were then 
know, compelled really um, to to build the open, to design the open spaces. So I think what you're going to notice when it's all done is that the architecture is going to be world class. The pedestrian uh, experience will be human scale. There'll be lots of density, but you'll feel a human scale on the ground, and that'll be a co- combination of the fact that we're putting a lot of attention into how you relate to the buildings at ground level and the enormous amount of open spaces, including a nine-acre park that will run through the middle of, uh, of it. And you, I don't think you could find a nine-acre park in Toronto, um, you know, at grade um, in an urban area. What do you think this will mean in terms of uh, finance, in terms of employment, in terms of uh, love and passion and commitment to community when people think about either living or working in this, in what sounds like it will be in an incredible project? Um, I could explain what that noise is if you um, if you can hear it. Uh, what you will um, uh, what you will find is that uh, y- you know we all travel great distances to go and experience um, you know great city centers. I think at Smart VMC you're going to um, you know if you're from Toronto you'd probably be traveling overseas or you know probably overseas to to experience the kind of thing that you will experience here on the ground here. It won't just be office and and, um, and and residential and retail, but um, it will be uh, in open spaces. Of course, it'll be civic uses as well. There'll be many civic uses here. You're going to see amazing, um, you know, uh, public art. In fact, we've got a, um, a visual art wall that will be installed around the, um, the first phase here, which he, the likes of which we have never seen in in Canada. There'll be a lot of things that will be. Um, things that you will not have seen in Canada, but you'll have seen in Europe. So a lot of the references and um, um, uh, experiences that we are um, you know, simul- you know, trying to develop here are uh, we look to Europe for, um, for our inspiration. Well, you're making the city of Vaughan proud, and uh, they have so much to be proud of. I appreciate you taking the time, Mitchell Goldhar, founder and executive chairman of Smart Centers, owner of Penguin Properties, and Oh, so much more. Let's chat again about some of your future endeavors, shall we? It would be my pleasure, Anne. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you. I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Our next story takes us inside Global Medic. This charity has provided life-saving aid in the aftermath of disasters for more than two decades now. Jim Lang with the man who has been there since day one. As we move on to 2020 and look ahead to the new year, the new decade, dealing with natural disasters and emergencies around the globe is still a a big concern. No matter how modern we are, we need dedicated people to make a difference in people's lives. And well, I mean, when Time Magazine lists you as one of the world's most influential people in 2010, you're doing something right. The founder of Global Medic is Rahul Singh, a dedicated paramedic and someone making a difference in people's lives. He joins us on the feed. Rahul, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm fascinated by this. Obviously, being a paramedic, you're dedicated to helping people. What made you, you know, taking all that time and stress of being a paramedic and take it from what you do in your day-to-day life around the world staging your off time? Well, I think it's, it's about impact, right? You know, you, you, you do the 911 call. So, you know, you, the alarms go, you jump in the truck, you're on your way, you get the updates. Let's say it's the worst call you're going to get, baby not breathing. You're flying to it. You know, I mean, you're just moving through traffic and you get there. 
and you know you're presented with that patient and you've got your list of interventions that you've got to do to you either save the life or you don't save the life. Now let's say everything works in your favor and you save the life. You've had an impact on that patient. You've had an impact on their family. But internationally, you can impact thousands and tens of thousands of folks that are affected by an earthquake or a hurricane or, or whatever that disaster is. And, and let me just put it in perspective for you because at the top of your show, you said just how impactful um, the problem is out there. There's 164 million people in need of humanitarian assistance. And that number has doubled in the last decade. If any one of your listeners thinks that the money to service that caseload has doubled in the last decade, well, it just hasn't. It's dropped. And I think we as Canadians and even in Western society, they see the modern state-of-the-art EMT paramedic vehicles, as you see, rushing to the scene, fully equipped with dedicated professionals. In our little social media, Instagram world, we forget there are a lot of countries in the world that can't even dream of this kind of equipment and facilities to deal with problems day to day. Well, it's interesting. Like you look at a, you know, you get a child struck by a car at, um, you know, Jane and Seven, and you think of, you know, they're going to send a response unit. They're going to send the closest ambulance crew. They'll make sure there's an advanced life support crew on the way. The fire department will respond. The police will respond. And then as they rush that child to a critical care center like sick kids or the local trauma center, every single cop is going to pull off whatever they're doing. The guy they've got pulled over, they call it dot to shut down every intersection. So that truck can race that child to care. That's more resources than most countries have. And that's just one call. That's incredible. So just the one calls in excess of what most countries can deal with on a daily basis. It depends on the, it depends on the country. I mean, like, you look at Haiti, you know, that earthquake in 2010, that was a 45-second incident. The ground shook for 45 seconds. It wipes out 143% of the country's GDP. You know, it kills about a quarter million people. It affects a million and a half. Like, they just don't have that capacity. There's three, 400,000 people critically injured. Like, we couldn't handle 300,000 people critically injured in 45 seconds. How do you think Haiti could, right? Like, it's just, yeah. even with all of our resources, we're better equipped than everyone else. Uh, speaking with the rules, saying the founder of Global Medic back in 1998, they had a vision and it's come to be that leading over 30 responses in over 170 around the world, countries all over the globe. Uh, when, you, when you see some of these countries, are there, even with all your experience, some you arrive with your team, even you are shocked by what you have to deal with? Yeah, a lot of countries, I mean, there's some countries that are really well prepared and then the, and then the crisis just overwhelms them when you look at Japan and that you know, that earthquake that led to the nuclear event, the tsunami in between the earthquake and the nuclear event. And they're really well equipped, but they're just overwhelmed. Other places, you know, the Hades were really, were really, really poorly equipped to handle that. And then, and then most of the countries are kind of that in between, you know, like the, the Ecuador's or the Colombia's where they've got some response capacity and they're doing their best, but they just, they just need more, right? Like it's just, and now, I mean, you've given some numbers there. We're up over 215 missions in 73 countries. So it's been it's been a busy couple of years for us, but it's good work. We're doing good work. Obviously, you teach things to people when you go to these countries. And I guess education and lessons they can learn to save lives in the future. What do you learn when you go to all these different countries? Yeah, I think I think we learn some of the local uh, local knowledge and then other ways of of uh, implementing, like, like we give education, we teach folks how to run these water units. We teach them, you know, some of that emergency medical care. Like when we first started, we were teaching all those landmine clearance personnel to be paramedics to support those teams. And the neatest thing is when you can redeploy that team, like the team you trained in Bangladesh, 
then deploy that field hospital the next year to their next crisis, and it's up and running by the time you arrive, or your team in Indonesia that does the same, or Pakistan, or the Philippines. So we always take away, I know our teams always just marvel at the resilience and and the fortitude and the wherewithal people have. So, I mean, it's a, I think we learn just as much as we teach sometimes. Is it um, still, we always have this image that when people see the Canadian flag on someone's shirt or uniform or people trying to do good, that there's a there's a warm response. Are you still finding that when you travel around the world, that you they see that Maple Leaf, the Red Maple Leaf, the Canadian flag, and you're with Global Medic and people are like, hey, these are our friends, they're here to help us? Yeah, I mean, the word Canada certainly resonates a lot. You know, like whenever whenever we're out and deployed, every one of our people wear the flag proudly on their, on their sleeve. You know, I mean... Uh, uh, we are this mission and this movement and people are just, just ecstatic. You know, they, they've heard of us as a country. They, they've heard different things. Uh, and then when they see us, you know, uh, you know, buried down working with them, you know, hunkering down and just delivering that aid and helping people and standing shoulder to shoulder with them. Like it, it certainly, it certainly lifts the element of the country and the status of our nation. It does more than most of our foreign policy does to be frank with yeah, I, I can uh, totally agree with that. Um, you also help people need in Canada. For people not quite sure about that, what do you mean by that? How do you help uh, people in Canada in need? Well, I mean, let's look at what we do, right? We we look at a problem and we, and we see the inefficiency and then we create solutions. Try to drive price down and, and get more help to people. So whenever Canada gets overwhelmed, like you look at those 80,000 folks that had to flee Fort Mac a couple of years ago, we knew the systems in Edmonton were going to get overwhelmed as soon as they had to evacuate that many people. So we had volunteers here put together these just basic hygiene kits, you know, so toothbrush, toothpaste, stuff that we knew the shelter would benefit from in Edmonton, handing to folks that had just made that long drive out. So we had the volunteers put it together here, and the folks that are in Canada, you know, three direct flights to Edmonton every day, they just start loading it up on the cargo, on the, on the cargo aspect of those planes, and our volunteers there would grab them and then move them over. And we put six, 7,000 kits in every day for the first three days, and, and, and they would distribute them. So just something as simple as that is something we do in Canada. When BC had its forest fires and all those people had to evacuate, we took over uh, a laundromat in the town, and we just did everybody's laundry for them for free. Yeah. You know, just something simple. like you know. It, and now we're just going to do more for Canadians because it's the right thing to do. Because my wife and I had that conversation during the Fort McMurray incident. What would we do? Because we have kids. Like, If you were told by authorities you've got five minutes to get out of your house, what would we grab? We, we thought you had to really think about that. Yeah, most people don't really have that go bag and, and being you know ready to go, right? So the, the fact that they just kind of jump in a car and go, they just need all the basics. So that, what we try to figure out is what people need, and then we try to get the items that we know they need in that first little bit. And it's, it's pretty simple stuff, right? When we deploy internationally, we know they need clean drinking water. We know they'll need food. We know they'll need shelter. It's pretty similar here, except we have clean water wherever we go in Canada, which is well, almost everywhere we go in Canada, which is good. So let's just get them the other items that they need, whether it's, you know, it's a food item or, or a hygiene item. And one of the things we're going to do now is we figured out a way to help our local food banks and get food out. And I'd love to tell you about it. Yes, please do. So if you were to support, if you walk into like, let's say a Walmart and try to buy the cheapest bag of grains, you know, lentils or rice or, or some type of food, you're probably going to pay about four bucks um, for about a kilo. So we figured out a way to buy in bulk, like buy tons and tons and tons of this product, have uh, a very good looking retail looking bag 
called McCantony's Menu, right? So named after the David McCantony Gibson Foundation, named after, you know, David, who's my best friend, who passed away. And then we'll get volunteers. So your kids, your family, your church group, your, your service groups, the local paramedics, everyone in the community can volunteer and literally pack those bags with rice or beans or, or whatever else and then seal them, put them into boxes and then get them out to the different food banks. And we can do this under a dollar a kilo, which means we're going to be able to push 400% more aid for the same amount of money. That's fantastic. What a, a great concept. Yeah, no, it's cool. We, we've tried this. We've tried this. We proved the model. Um, we've done it overseas in Syria. You know, we're down to 33 cents a meal for an emergency meal into Syria made and delivered from here. You know, when we're up over a million meals for the year, we did 66,000 kilos in the Bahamas. So we know the model's going to work. Now we're just ramping it up for the Canadian market. It's called Global Medic. If people are listening to this and want to help, what can they do? Where do they go? Oh, and go online, globalmedic.ca, make a donation. Get your groups together, get people that you like to hang out with and come out and volunteer with us because what we do is we get people in and their volunteer time actually drives down our cost because they're assembling aid. I mean, just join the movement and support us. Globalmedic.ca. I hope you have a very quiet 2020 and not too many disasters to deal with, but we know that's not going to happen. Rule, I really appreciate the time. Keep up the great work. Proud of you, my friend. Hey, thanks. Take care. Hi, I'm Les Parsons. I'm the Fixed Operations Manager here at Maple Honda, and I've been here since the beginning. Our service team works hard to make sure you have a great Maple Honda experience. I love coming to work every day to help find solutions for our guests. I'm Les Parsons. Here for your Honda, here for you. Well, the Chinese New Year is... On the 25th of January, a Saturday, and we are joined now by Grant Go, producer, Charming China, which, by the way, airs seven nights a week at six o'clock right here on 105.9 The Region. Thanks for joining us, and how will you be celebrating on Saturday, January 25th? Thank you for having me, uh, and So, um, you know, because we are in Canada, so we can not uh, have the national holiday uh, on the Chinese New Year Day. But luckily this year, the Chinese New Year Day is Saturday. So we can celebrate the Chinese New Year all day long. And normally, you know, uh, in the Chinese tradition, we always uh, make dumplings uh, on the New Year Eve and watching TV and whole family together. And we have the breakfast of dumpling in the New Year Day. And uh, the holiday, you, you know, uh, in the Chinese tradition, every holiday we have a special food. So the Chinese New Year Day in the morning, we always have dumpling. And the second day of the Chinese New Year, we have noodles. And uh, that's the tradition. So we are very happy and very uh, looking forward the Chinese New Year this year. Beautifully put. And do you exchange coins or gifts or boxes? Uh, tell me about that tradition. You know, uh, Chinese is, uh, China is so huge. And uh, the southern China and the northern China uh, have the different tradition. But, uh, you know, in the uh, southern China, like people in Guangdong and uh, Hong Kong, the Cantonese people, they always say, and exchange uh, the red envelope. And uh, so that's, that represents uh, the prosperity and everything. But in the, uh, you know, northern China, people always say, 
Happy New Year. Uh, 新年快乐 That's the、uh, you know that's another version of the Kong Hee Fa Chai. So um yeah we uh sometimes you know the the uh we don't exchange uh you know a present but uh the the the, the family the 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 elder um the, the elder um um generation always gave money. To the younger generation, for uh, you know, for the that kind of the present, New Year present. On the twenty fifth, officially the Lunar New Year, it will be the year of the rat. What does that mean to you, Grant? Rat means、um, you know cautious and、uh, smart and fast moving. So、um, people, when people were born、uh, in the year of rat. Um, I think、um, the older、uh, generation always hope the kids will be very smart,、mm-hmm. and、um, I think it's very hard. You know, if、uh, the people、uh, were born on the year of dragon or tiger or something, people always think the good words. But you know, because of the rat, the, the, the image is not like huge. And beautiful, but people always think the good thing of the animal, so they always think of the smart and very fast moving. <laughs> That's great. You know, I think about our elders and how they embrace tradition. What about young people today? Are they understanding and embracing、uh, and and feeling comfortable with the tradition surrounding the Lunar New Year?、Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think the, 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 in the Chinese community, people are always、uh, trying to, you know,、uh, celebrate the Chinese tradition with the younger、uh, generation, even though they are living in a Western environment. And、uh, but still,、uh, they have learned a lot because,、uh, uh, for example,、uh, in the Chinese New Year Day.、Uh, The elder generation always、uh, trying to, you know,、uh, make a new、uh, Chinese traditional clothes、uh, for the young kids, and also they make some traditional Chinese food with the young people and celebrate the Chinese、uh, New Year. Grant, before we go, would you like to wish our listeners a happy New Year? Okay, the, I hope all、uh, the. Uh, audience of the、uh, FM 1059, the region, a very happy New Year, 恭喜发财，新年快乐 Thank you very much. Thank you, Grant Go, producer of Charming China. Very much appreciated, and happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. Well, that's our show for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. If you missed any part of the feed, or have a story idea, or a community event to share, please head to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.